Hey, can we put our hands together for uh, Ryan and Karina, please? Thanks, guys. Um, this morning, apart from wanting to uh, share a word, um, we want to be able to, Mick, Robin and myself, would love to be able to share with you a little bit of our trip and uh, what we got up to. And so if Mick and Robin are here, they're going to come forward and share a little bit of what, what we did when we were in Zambia and South Africa, really, the people that we met where we ministered, where we were challenged, where we were touched, where we freaked out, where we ate fish's head through the bone. Um, snoring. We're not going to share the snoring. That, that's a no-go. We, we can't share snoring. <laughs> Apparently, I snore. You know, like, I know, right? What? And it's like, it's on cue, isn't it? It's like, you know, where I just like, Absolutely. No. But, but, but what was really good is a pastor that was with us um, actually said to the team after a, a day and a half of saying, oh my goodness, I can't believe how Andrew snores. It was like, we actually can't talk about his snoring again. So thank you, Jesus, for that. But anyway, um, where's your other half? Ah, she is always last. Hello. Oh, I'm on. So I'm going to let them take the, take the floor for a minute as they share about our trip with hands and then I'll share a little bit and then we'll go from there. We'll see how it all ends up. So first off, I'm just going to give you a bag of something and I just want you to feel it. Feel the texture. What do you think it is? Pass it around, pass it through the church family. That wasn't after I was sick, was it? (laughs) Yep. (laughs) We scooped it up. (laughs) I hope not too. Pass it through, pass it through so everyone can have a go, have a feel. I basically just want to pray first, if we can. Okay. So ever-watching Father, we pray for the suffering children whom we do not see. We know that your eyes see their tears, that you feel the heart and their sorrow, that your hands can reach them now. We remember that Jesus was once a child, that poverty stole his bread, that tyrants sought his life, that his mother tasted tears. We ask you send friends for the lonely, food for the hungry, medicine for the sick, saviours for the enslaved, rescue for the perishing. Give us the wisdom to do our part, share our possessions, leave our comforts, lend them our voice, send them our food, love them with more than prayers. We call on you in the name of your child, Jesus. Amen. Amen. Um, So, we've been back a week. Um, We left on the 15th of September, 16th, whatever it was. We got there on Sunday night, quite late, and then first thing Monday morning, Andrew had to get up nice and early (laughs) for a a. 7am prayer meeting. (laughs) Yes, the men got up earlier than the women. Oh, sorry. On a Monday. So the men got up at 7am. And And then the children... It was never fair. It was before 7am because the prayer was at 7am. Okay. So they got up really early. Um, and then the children arrived at Kachelli Farm where we were staying um, later that morning. So we were straight into the camp. We didn't have any time to think about what we were doing. Children, 20 children, 10 boys, 10, uh, 10 girls, arrived from Chibuli Community, who um, is sponsored by Whittleseed Church. So 280 children in that community, 150 of them are sponsored. They get fed once a day. They get basic health care and education. They get a meal every lunchtime um, provided by volunteers and care workers and cooks. And um, 150 children get fed while 130 stand back and watch. The children we had at camp left on the Friday. During the camp they get three meals a day. They get 
um, loved on, they get treated as children, they get bathed, they get given toiletries, they play games, they learn about God, they do everything. They left on the Friday and we knew the Saturday and Sunday they were going back to nothing, they would not get fed until they went to school Monday lunchtime. Um, so what you have been feeling in those little plastic bags is mud. Mud does a lot over in Africa. You can build a house with mud, build bricks. You can scrub pots with mud. You can... What else can you do with mud? When you're really, really hungry, you can um, eat it. So the care workers, when they are desperate for food, they make mud and feed it to the children so it fills their belly. So when you throw out your next lot of overleft food, think about the mud. It is so sad to watch 130 children stand back and watch 150 children get one meal a day. We had girls on the camp that um, one of them had AIDS. She was born with AIDS. She was told not to be touched. She was told not to touch people because she was dirty and she would make people sick. So the start of the camp, she would, all the kids are really standoffish when they first come, but um, towards the end of the camp, obviously, they're all over us and we're all over them. But she was so loved and I just wanted to bring her home. Okay. <laughs> just one of them. Um, she actually was trying to plot how she could fit two children <laughs> in a suitcase. <laughs> and I just said at the... At we went out into Tabuli community the following week and I just said, just write their names out, they won't even miss them. I'll just bring them home with me. That <laughs> um, we went to a couple of the girls' um, homes for our holy home visits in Tabuli. Um, one of the girls, Jean, she is 12 years old. She gets up at four o'clock every morning. She goes and fetches water and does all her chores for her mother her father died 12 months ago and she walks for an hour and a half every day to school she does school and then she walks home again an hour and a half every day and she's 12 years old and she sleeps on clay they have no blankets when we were doing our camp we had prayer time most of the most of the kids would pray pray for shoes I would like a pair of shoes I would like a blanket I would like my mother to come home safe tonight so she can care for me. They were their prayers. And it's just all of them. One boy arrived to the camp, a 12-year-old boy. They come with nothing, just the clothes on their back. His pants were ripped in half and he was consciously walking around like this, holding his pants together. 12-year-old boy. So guys, when you want the best name brand, jeans and shoes and clothes, think about this 12-year-old boy. He's got nothing, okay? Sorry, I'm coming down hard because it's passion in my heart. Um, $20 a month, one child will get fed once a day, get medical assistance and an education. That's all it is, $20 a month. Have I got anything else to say? <laughs> Probably not, no. Spence, can we play my little most humbling um, experiences, I suppose, was when we went to Chiburli Community. One of the cooks and the care workers, they just come up to me and said, Rops! Their arms out. It's been five years since I went. So whatever I left there last time, they've remembered me. And that's, that's what it's all about, to give them the hope that they deserve. Thank you. Oh, and we got married. <laughs> Come on, Nick. Share something. You were there too. Yeah. Probably the biggest thing there are the <laughs> care workers. They might walk three or four miles to the school and three or four miles back from the school as well. And they work there all day. They, um, they cook all day. They just help around the school and all that. They get water. And, and, that, and some of the, um, the kids, they walk three or four miles as well to and from school. 
every day. You know, you know get, they get their one meal a day. And, um, that's about it, but they're happy with their life because they don't know any better. So, yeah. Absolutely. And, um, yeah, that's about it. Yeah. Was it a fun trip? I know there's a lot of poverty, but was it a fun trip? Yeah, it was, yeah. It was good to be, be around with the kids, yeah. It was an amazing trip. We had an amazing team with it. There were 10 of us, and we just had the best time. We supported each other. We had fun with each other. We ribbed each other. It was just the best. If you get the opportunity, just go. Just go. Zambia is amazing. The people are amazing. They ask for nothing. They are so generous. They will give you their heart. They haven't got food for themselves, so they'll offer it to us. And we just said, no, I'm forfeiting my lunch. 130 children standing there watching me. I'm not eating. I'm I sorry. think that was because they were those ugly little fish. That oh. was one of those forfeits. Andrew loved his fish. Just <laughs> ask him about his fish heads and eyes. Fish heads. <laughs> yeah. I did. I did lose some weight. I think I've slowly found it. <laughs> Zambia is so different to South Africa. Zambia have no money. Yes, I'm sorry. Um, Andrew can print out some sponsorship forms. You need to make sure that you're putting Chibuli community on it, but if you're yeah. not sure, let me know. Yeah, I'm just on a big recruitment drive because you can't have 130 kids not eating. It's ridiculous. Yeah. Cool. Well, and I'll, I'll talk a little bit more about um, Chibuli to a degree, but the way that hands work, they don't determine who they feed by the money they get the sponsorship. Um, and it's not just about feeding. They call it a care point or a life centre. Across Hans's work, they feed over 10,000 children a day. Um, and what determines how many children get fed is the capacity within that life centre, that, that care point of the workers to be able to actually provide that service, to be able to do that. Um, the care workers, etc., are all volunteers. And I'll explain a little bit, just to give you a snapshot um, of, of how it works. You want to throw my PowerPoint up, if that's all right, wherever it starts? Hey, yeah, I do love his presence. Cool. Um, the camp itself was, was brilliant and... There was a stack of planning that went into the camp. We are, the Australian team is one of only two teams across the different nations that go. We were the 44th team that visited for this year. And we are only one of two teams that actually do something like this. Uh, the model that the Australian team uses, that Shane and Millie use, um, was actually picked up by, they picked it up from a UK team. But... Um, after all the weeks and months of planning, there's different things that go into every day, you know, from the craft activities, the, the story that we want to tell the kids, all that sort of stuff. Um, I had the wonderful privilege of being able to escape on the second day and leave all the work for the others, which was really cool because they had me with the kids doing puppet shows and, and, and I, I just don't flow naturally there. <laughs> I, just, I just don't. It's like going back to kids' church. You know, I can do that, but I'm not natural there. Um, but, sorry? Yeah, <laughs> thank you. And we left Tuesday morning, and then Shane and I came back on Thursday mid-afternoon because uh, they took us to a few places to see some of the other, the other areas, the other care points, life centres that they've got around. And the difference in the kids from the Monday that we saw them to the Thursday was phenomenal because they really did come in quite somber and reserved but by the Thursday Shane and I looked at each other and go did you see that like they were playing with each other there was two young boys that came on our team um, from out Whittlesea way um, and I just having a moment because of Brandon and Dylan yeah I should remember Dylan because it was an interesting anyway it was like having Nathan with me <laughs> Um, they were just they just they just mingled so so exceptionally well, so um, get, mate, don't skip the slides. Go back all the way back, all the way back to the front, because they won't make any sense. So I, I'll just give you a quick snapshot with hands at work. Um, the truth is that Peter shared really well last week, and he said that each and every one of us has the image of God, the Imago Dei, yeah, 
And so each and every one of us is deserving of God's love. Yeah? And so when it comes to hands, their desire is to look after the orphan and the widow through the care workers which they then also support because a lot of them have got their own families and their own issues and stuff like that. So there's a holistic care that they, they do. It's not just about the feeding. They talk about three essential services, the, the, the ESs. Everything's got an acronym. And, um, and that basically it's food, it's basic education, and then it's health care. So this is just a, a line of kids getting ready to be fed, by the way, of the 150, um, while care workers are going mad. It's really interesting because the pots that they cook there, not for me, not very nice food. <laughs> They're really big pots, yeah. And I had a pastor, Pastor Jacob, said, oh, Andrew, can you help me move the pot? And I grabbed the handle. I'm like, oh, it's hot. Can I have a tea towel? The ladies all laughed at me. Right? They, 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 they laughed at me a lot anyway. So we moved this pot, you know, like, and we finally put it down. I go, Jacob, that's so heavy. I turn around and, and the cooks, the care workers, the ladies, they're still laughing at me because I could hardly move this pot, you know. It was like one of the days we went on this holy home visit, and I'll explain that soon enough, but um, we wanted to help the home that we were in, so we said, we'll go get some water for you because it was about, I don't know, it wasn't all that far. It was maybe 500 metres, 600 metres away. It wasn't, a, it wasn't a long walk. Sometimes they could walk a kilometre or so for water. So we had all these buckets, these 10-litre buckets, a 20-litre bucket. Brandon was with us here, this little two-and-a-half-litre container. And uh, as we're walking, we're walking through, when I say her community, the three thatches that they live in. One was hers, one was her sister's, one was an uncle's. And we've got to, we walk about 40, 50 metres. We have to cross the road, and there's another community across the road. And the road is a highway, by the way. We cross the highway, and there's some people outside, and they're all laughing. And they're all laughing because I'm carrying a 10-litre bucket, and Sylvia one of the workers from um, the support centre is carrying a 20-litre bucket. I go, what are they laughing at? So, because you've only got a 10-litre. I said, well, Sylvia, give me the 20-litre. She goes, nah. <laughs> right, so we go, we go, we finally make it to the well. We pump the water, you know. We get the water. We're coming back. She's, she's you know, as they do, carrying 20 litres on her head without holding it, you know, just perfectly balanced. One of the girls that was with us had a 10-litre on her head and she's carrying it like this because she wants to be like them. We get back to that same community, they're laughing. I go, they're laughing at me again, aren't they, Sylvia? She goes, yep. I go, give me the 20-litre bucket. She goes, no. Nah. <laughs> it was just... <laughs> Can you go to the next slide? So anyway, they feed the kids. Uh, a lot of the basis of their, their meal is what they call shima. South Africa is called pap. It's made from maize. It's, it's, it's a wheat. It has no nutrient at all except for carbs anything that is healthy they take out of it it's like a really heavy polenta for those that have ever eaten polenta if you don't have a nice sauce with it it's just crud yeah they they handle it again i'm so soft the kids are digging into this maze and it's and like and they're making it into a ball so they can use it to pick up whatever food's cooked with it and I'm touching it. I'm like, ah, it's too hot. I can't. Now, us Westerners, like we couldn't even handle the stuff, you know. And they're straight in with their hands. So anyway, kids get fed in a whole myriad of different places. As I said, you're talking Zambia, different places of Zambia in South Africa, Nigeria, the Congo, Swaziland. There's a whole bunch. And as I said, over 10,000. And it all comes down to the capacity of the actual life centre uh, or care point to be able to do that. So there's a whole... There's a whole list that they have where they're going to increase the amount of children that they feed. And they'll do it incrementally, but a whole bunch of them is to increase by about 50 by the end of the year. And again, it's not about the support. They look for the support second. And just so that you know, every dollar that you give to hands actually gets overseas. So the Australian office, the office over there, they do their own fundraising for the administrative costs. It's really brilliant, the way that they work. So let's jump to the next page just quickly. This is just outside the school. Um, we had managed to carry in our suitcases 168 backpacks. Now, you'd be surprised. You can only fit 14. No, less than that. You can't fit a lot of backpacks in a suitcase. They're really bulky. There was 168 suitcases. It was like 200 toothbrushes. There was toothpaste. There was soap. I don't know how we, we got it there. When we stacked it up, it was phenomenal, wasn't it? Just the pile of stuff. So here's just a snippet of the guys after they came out of a room. We had a, a, 
an appreciation day where we gave the kids that are part of the program there at Chibuli with the care workers, we gave them a gift. And it was like some basic biscuits, face washer, soap, all that sort of stuff, uh, which a lot of people here actually donated and obviously the guys from Whittlesea. So that was brilliant. Next slide. So basic education, the primary school that's there has two buildings that are like that that are now finished. The last time Shane and, Middle, um, and Millie from New Horizons were there, um, I think it was three years ago, it wasn't yet finished. So that school started under a tree with one care worker. It now has, as Robin's mentioned, 280 students. The government are now involved alongside with HANDS. The government have provided a paid-for principal and paid-for teachers. Because when a school starts, when HANDS starts a school, it's generally the care workers with whatever education they've got wanting to bring some knowledge to the children. So now the government's involved, but part of that partnership is to continue and to allow hands to have children that can't feed themselves, that need care, can't afford anything else, etc. So um, I think that's brilliant. It's going so well there in Chibouli that now they're actually talking about doing some form of high school, year seven to year nine. For most kids, when they're in high school, um, they've got to travel to another city to do tests, to assess them. They're even looking to see if they can make that an assessment centre. So it's doing exceptionally well, especially now that the government's involved. They have no running water except for a, um, a, a well, a pumped well, over the other side of that building. And that was actually paid for many moons ago. Um, even before I knew about hands, uh, a fundraiser was run here and the guys over at Mount Clear Primary actually raised the money to pay for that well. Go to the next page. So it's basic education, there's health. This is one of the holy home visits. A holy home visit is when you go with a care worker, every child, so if you think about 10,000 kids being fed a day, um, every child gets, fed, uh, gets visited once a week. Their home, their care worker visits their home and it's not a quick visit, it's sit on a rock, it's chat, how's life, what's going on, what are your challenges, anything else we can do to help. In Zambia, it can be very practical. You're getting water, you're helping them fill their charcoal, you know, things that they're trying to sell, you're helping them crack nuts, you're doing stuff like that. But here, um, this little fella here, and I just, I should remember his name. You remember his name? Gift, thank you. It is Gift. Um, Gift has AIDS. He's actually three. The um, baby at the back is a two-year-old, not quite two. When you stand them together, Gift is smaller. So hands and the care workers came across him and they've made available um, and created an opportunity for them to get into the clinic. See, AIDS can be maintained. Yeah, it doesn't have to be a death sentence with the right medication. It can be maintained. It doesn't have the same stigma that it used to have, but particularly in South Africa, it still carries that stigma, even though you know, it medically can be treated. So when we were there, we noticed that this little kid was really unwell and uh, he had a fever. And so there's a couple of care workers that you can't see that were with us. And so we prayed for gift for the fever to leave. And then we were probably there for 45 minutes to an hour. While we were there, the fever left. Candace, who's there, she's in, she's in our team and she will be um, a part of the HANDS, the HANDS volunteer team um, starting February next year for the next 12 months. So she's been accepted a little bit like Jess over in Uganda. And so she had her hand on her belly and she, uh, on Gift's belly and she said, Andrew, check this out. And it was rock hard, like I'm talking... It was rock hard. She goes, feel this, it's just not right. And so we decided that we would pray again and we prayed that the sickness wouldn't stop in the belly but that it would be gone completely because we just saw miracle after miracle while we were there. And while we kept talking to the mother and we were organising another clinic visit because he was so unwell, so there was phone calls, like the hands workers, the care workers are, are, are on the job. While we were there, she goes, feel it now, feel it now. And the, the best way I can describe it, from being like this, it, it, it went to my belly. Right? It just went all soft and pudgy. It was so cool right? just to see God do a work. Um, I, I just loved it. Now, because the care workers, and there'll be a photo of them, because they, they have to provide the essential services, it means 
yeah, it, it means that the care workers are continually owning the need to care for those kids. They really take ownership like it's their own, almost like an adoption without being adopted. They, they understand uh, the whole idea about meals. They know what's going on in the homes. They know what's additional and what's not additional. Uh, and because of that visit, we were able to get gift the following morning into the clinic to get more medication. Without a holy home visit, that would never have happened. He would have continued to deteriorate. Um, just to give you an example. Next slide. So... Hands, hands runs a, a, a phenomenal uh, care for the care workers. The care workers don't actually belong to hands. Yeah, they're part of a community-based organisation that they help set up, and I'll explain that. But they run what they call Maranatha workshops, not because Maranatha is a good Christian word and because of Maranatha music. It's because where they first ran the workshop, it was in a place called Maranatha. <laughs> True story, right? And it's all about yeah, giving the gospel. It's all about making available the story of Jesus. They actually call it, and I've said to our, a couple of our guys, our foundations that we run once a year, sometimes twice a year, I am flat out going to pinch the name from Zambia and from Hands at Work. I'm not going to call our foundations course a foundations course anymore. It's now going to be called the Jesus we know. Yeah, It's just much better. The Jesus we know. So the Maranatha workshops is all about bringing the Jesus we know to the care workers. The care workers all come out of the local churches and every local church has a slightly different flavour. So it's important that they understand the Jesus that Hands understands, that we understand at its core so they don't have any weird ideas. Yeah, is that fair? Next page. So relationship groups are no different to our friendship groups. They are all about building relationship. It's all about a place of honesty. Even that 7 a.m. prayer meeting that, that Mick and I went to, the guys were a bit quiet because you know the visitors were there. But it's not, just a, it's not just a prayer group. It's not just sharing a devotion. It's actually the guys and later at 8 a.m., the, the girls. It's about them sharing their lives. And so they run these groups with the care workers and also with the primary caregivers which could be a sister an auntie a grandmother they run these groups weekly so they can get biblical teaching so there can be accountability so that they can continue to grow in community yeah the thing that i noticed when we were there is they're in community and because of community there's a sense of hope yet they don't have a lot here in the western world it's a generalization it's not a comparison yeah not a comparison we as we acquire more stuff we actually separate ourselves. You know, we don't know our neighbours the way that we used to be. We come, become very individual. So the sense of community is less and we're less content. I just wonder if community is something that's so very important. And that's why we at Mount Clear talk about and use words like family, yeah, because it's all about family. So next slide. Keep going. That was just them having some fun while I wasn't there. <laughs> Keep going. All right. You're not going to see this picture but I'm going to try to, a five-second explanation for you. Um, the model for hands or the, the premise is to look after the orphan and widow from James 1.27. But really, I, I almost wish I had a, a flashlight pointer. But what you see at the top where it says CBO, it's a community-based organisation. So hands will go into an area like Mount Clear, and they'll look for a Mother Teresa. They'll look for the person that's actually helping the children, doing stuff in the community already, and they come alongside her and say, this is who we are, this is what we would love to do, we want to help you to help these children, we'd love to be able to set up a school, we want to be able to help you to feed them, and give you the resource to do that, and then they help build a team of people from the community around that person that discovered, and they create a board, if you will, not board in the sense that we know it, but a board. So that community-based organisation, though it's championed by hands, it's not hands. Because like Chibuli, with the government coming into the school, Hans' model is to be able to step away and continue to do that in other areas, yeah? So you've got a picture up there, Jacob and Naomi. They were the people that they discovered at the time. Then you've got Jean and Teaser over on the left. They are the ones that actually run the Chibuli community because once you've got a CBO, they'll put someone in charge that's going to look after that care point, make sure people are getting fed, doing all that sort of stuff. As you run down, it's, it's just giving you a... They've got service centres. Service centres look after the community-based organisations in every area, in every country. Underneath those, 
there's actually support teams. They've got a structure so that there's continual support all the way to the community-based organisation. One of the stories that I heard that was brilliant was there was a community, and, and it happens, it just happens, right? There's a community-based organisation. The leader of that organisation was in it for, more, for what he could get. He was skimming food off the side. He was doing all that sort of stuff. So Hans actually went and said, look, that's not how we operate. We're going to remove our service. But because the care workers come out of the local churches that Hans approach, they spoke to the care workers and the care workers were, um, were told, keep feeding the kids at the Life Centre, the care point, but no more holy home visits, not until this guy gets on the same page. When the, the primary caregivers realised that the holy home visits had stopped, they went to the community-based organisation, they went to the leaders, and they go, we're not happy with that. We, we want to appoint a new leader. We want hands back in because uh, the families are missing out because they're not, they're not getting to the homes. And so they changed their leadership group so that the, what hands and model could continue. And I think that's brilliant. They have at times had to pull away and have had to leave a work because people aren't on the same page. But part and parcel of the package, I guess. Um, next, next one, mate, just really quickly. That was... Um, <laughs> There, they were just happy. They were being marked off on a roster, getting ready to be fed, and, and Robin really is in her element there. She just is. Next one. So here's just their core values that they're committed to, loving God and our neighbour, reaching the poorest of the poor. They have to assess, and they do assess individual homes, children, uh, what home repairs are needed. One child eats twice a week. This child eat, doesn't eat at all. He's in the program. This kid misses out even though they're both in need. They have to make decisions on the poorest of the poor. They live servanthood. They support local community ownership, value relationships. Where, they, where the hands workers live at the hub and where we were on the farm at Kachali, the different countries, they have one, uh, one rule. Houses are never locked. You can visit any home of any of the volunteer staff at any time of day whenever you like. Just pop in. No ring first, no text first. Doors are always open. That is a must if you're going to be part of the hands community. I love that. Prioritising God, family, then ministry, and being accountable. Next one. So there's a whole bunch of stuff. They build their model off um, Nehemiah, rebuilding the wall, chapters 2 to 6. You can read that. But basically their wall starts with Christ as a foundation, then the local church, that's where the care workers come from, then they build into healthy leadership with the Maranatha um, program and the, the relationship groups. Holy home visits are the be-all and end-all. If there's no holy home visits, then that's not working. They serve the most vulnerable. They make sure that the three essential services, food, health and education, are happening. They make sure that the care workers are supported. While we were there, we visited th Shane and I visited three locations when they were feeding children after school. Our time there became ministry to those care workers. And uh, it was just phenomenal. Oh, phenomenal. Some of the healings that we saw. Uh, and basically, if that wall is built correctly, they end up with a care point and a life centre. So that's how hands works. Next slide. And really, have a look at that. Have you ever seen, you ever seen Robin so happy? Really, look, I know she's happy. And she shared all the sad stuff here. But that day, I have never seen those two like that. That was a phenomenal day. It was so good to be there. They asked me to pray for them later. I was just caught with emotion <laughs> as normal. I was just crying. But um, it was stoked. And she didn't even know she had that dress. Uh, one of the local workers, along with uh, Millie from, from New Horizons, helped make that happen. They took her measurements by saying that they were going to fix up another dress that she was borrowing on the day. Um, none of it, I, I had no idea. None of us, except for the couple that were involved, uh, knew that that was happening. I thought we were going to a prayer meeting under the Cacelli tree, which is like a 100, 150-year-old tree, you know. But it uh, turned out to be a wedding. Anyway, that was our, our trip. Amen? Amen. Cool. Um, I, I want to share a really simple thought because I've, I've already spoken too much. Um, believe it or not, I actually think that. But God challenged me while I was there and uh, I shared it in our men's, in our men's group on that, that Monday morning. The following Monday morning, it was Sunday night and Shane said, oh, can you come up with a thought, a word to share on, you know, tomorrow morning? Well, thanks for the notice. I really appreciate that. How about you come up with something for tomorrow instead? You know, like, uh, and then 
And it was funny because when we finally got to South Africa, I think it was on the Friday, he goes, oh, Friday night, mind you. Was it Friday night or something like that? He goes, oh, did we mention? They found out that there's two pastors in our team, so they wanted someone to preach, so I said, you would. <laughs> oh, oh, will I just? Well, thank you very much. <laughs> it's like no panic, right? <laughs> no panic. So some of the thoughts, some of the thoughts that I want to share really quickly just come out, of, come out of that. And because of what I've experienced, not just there, because the poverty, the poverty to me wasn't a surprise. I've been to India. I've seen poverty. Yeah, I've seen po- poverty. I've been through that climatic change and shift. So it wasn't that that captured me. What really captured me, and, and Mick mentioned it, was the care workers in their own stuff, in their own despair, in their own trials. They still served humbly and, and unconditionally. Yeah, Totally. And so the thought that I shared there, and I want to share here, is this simple, very simple thought, very easy to, to grab hold of. I'm sure all of you will be happy with it because all of you have been through stuff in your life. It's this, there is such a thing as good pain. There is such a thing as good pain. That's all. If we could understand that, yeah, we would have the answer to most things that we go through. There's such a thing as good pain. We never see it as that. But there is such a thing as good pain. So, what it was with the care workers when they were going through all of their stuff and as we prayed for them, you've got to understand, we're praying for people and they're coming up sharing all sorts of stuff and we're seeing this physical healing. But yet, the, the, even in that holy home visit where we went and saw Gift who had age, you spoke, spoke to the mother and even though she, she wasn't smiling then, they have this faith in God. They just have a belief. And, and the best way that I can put it or, or, or just so we have something to measure with, is like a, a farmer, one of our farmers out in the field. You know, they, they get their crops ready, they do all of that. But then there's a hope for rain. And for a lot of them, they are believers. They do come from a Christian heritage and they believe in God knows their needs. And so there's this really simple belief, maybe because they have to have it, but there's just this belief that God is good all the time and he's got them, regardless of where they find themselves. Wasn't that true, Mick? Like they were, just, they were just like that. You know, they were fighting their own battles, but they always believed that he was good. They, they never lost hope. They just never lost hope. And I, I realized something through the care workers that I met, that his love for us and those around us should be at the center of everything that we do, everything we feel. Yeah, If we could truly live in the in the fact that he's good all the time then no matter what you and i face in life we'll be able to get through yeah we'll be able to face that stuff won't we and so i i saw and experienced that while i was over there you know like i'm in south africa and i get those messages from mel through whatsapp and you know her dad who's got cancer is not doing well with the radiation and they want to stop the radiation and then they want to start the radiation and we still want to do the surgery and then she tells me that her mum's taken a downward you know spiral turn with her anxiety and depression and she hasn't left home for ages I get get to South Africa and I've got a pain in my leg that doesn't it doesn't normally exist I get off the plane and you got to think there are days that I walk six kilometers I know it doesn't look like I did but I've walked six kilometers but because of the pain in my leg I would have to walk faster than the care workers which is really easy because Zambians and South Africans when they're walking to go visit someone six kilometers ten kilometers away this is how fast they walk that's gonna take all day come on I've got lunch at 12 let's go so I would walk faster just so that I could get in front of them and I realized I realized through the holy home visits because when you get there they there's still that culture of men and women and so they would give the men something to sit on praise God for that I was happy with that but it's not like a seat. It could be a rock, could be a bucket. So you're almost in a squatting position. And I realized that as I squat, that when, I, when we'd finished and I got back up, the pain in my leg was gone. So we'd go for these walks and I would get some distance just so that I could squat. Yeah? And they would laugh at me because they thought I, I had to go to the toilet or something. It's like, no, I don't. I'm just I'm taking the pressure off the leg. And I'd get back up and it'd be good for the next 10 minutes or so. And then I'd feel it coming again. I'd have to squat again, you know. Anyway, so stuff was happening, you know, and then you got my daughter Faith. I understand that sometimes life can be really yuck and, you know, it's not the same as what they experience over there, but the emotion is the same. What you go through is the same. 
the context of it looks a little bit different, yeah? But the stuff that's going on in the inside is exactly the same. You know, life can be really cruel and it's totally plain to see when you come back from a, a country like that. You know, when you see people making their own bricks, the best bricks they make are from the big um, white ant mounds, apparently, because they get in deep, they bring the clay to the surface, there's sticky stuff in it. So when they add it to the cement and then they dry, it makes the best bricks. Who knew? We just go to Borrell, yeah? <laughs> like, amen for Borrell. I'm not making my own bricks, ever. shouldn't say that in church, should I? Anyway, we know that God loves us. We know that he's madly in love with us. And we know that Papa, all he wants is an intimate relationship with us. That's why he sent his son on a cross, to make that available again. And so there I am in, in Zambia with, with Shane when we took off from the team in those different locations and as we start to share that life can be hard and this is a message that came from um, Levy one of the Zambian leaders he's just sharing I feel like God's saying life can be really hard and we've got to stop hiding and you need to bring it you need to bring it it's time to get it out there because how can we heal the kids and bless the kids and love the kids if we don't let God do it for us right Okay, now we're going to pray. Andrew, you go over there. Uh, you can go in and translate for him. And Shane, you go over there. And then I'll go over here. And then the care workers. This happened in three places. The care workers would come, just come. And they'd share some intimate stuff. My wife's cheating on me. My husband's cheating on me. My kids are this. I'm, I'm an alcoholic. I'm struggling with drugs. All sorts of stuff, yeah? They, they wanted prayer from. I'm struggling with anger, struggling with depression, struggling with anxiety. The, the groups that I was in, every time it was some physical pain. I get heart palpitations. My back's sore. I had two people come up at one place that had sore legs starting from the hip. You've got to love this, right? Starting from the hip all the way to the ankle where they, they were walking like this, couldn't walk. I'd pray for them. One lady goes, I feel like I can dig a hole. And she's like, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. She walks away. I look at the guy that I'm with and I'm going, and I still have a sore leg. Yeah, like, what's that? Right? I know life can be cruel at times, yeah? But I love the way they shared their struggles openly. But in it all, they always had hope in their eyes that God was with them. Yeah? That he knew them. That the, and they just experienced his unconditional love. It was just, it was beautiful to be around. Absolutely beautiful to be around. And then God started to drop that thought. You know, there's such a thing as good pain. There's such a thing as good pain. And I guess that's, that's why in Habakkuk, you know, in chapter 3... He prays these words. Habakkuk's been through it all. He's seen what's going on with the children of Israel, the decimation of the children of God. He's not happy. He sees all this injustice. And he's asking God in chapters 1 and 2, he's saying, what's going on? This doesn't make sense. It's absolutely ridiculous. And then we get to chapter 3, and, and after saying to God, what's going on here? He comes up with his prayer in the midst of his own despair and confusion. Yeah? And, and he utters these words. Verse 17 in chapter 3 says, Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen, no cattle in the stalls, yet I'll rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Saviour. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. Man, how... Does a man who sees all that despair, experience all that despair, come up and be able to pray a prayer like that? He basically saying, my life's crud. It's crap. I've got an apple tree with no apples, an orange tree with no orange. I've got a field with no harvest. I've got olive trees with no olives. It's, it's a mess. What's going on? <laughs> and then he says, yet I'll rejoice in the Lord. Yeah? Yet... I'll rejoice in the Lord, even though my life looks like beep. Yeah, I'm going to rejoice in the Lord. There's a level of intimacy here, a depth of relationship and understanding with God that, that you and I need to walk into continually. We have to understand, we have to desire, yeah? we have to pursue to be able to get to this place that when our lives beep, we can say, I rejoice in the Lord, yeah? He discovered something in the depth of his soul. There's something that he knows that allows him to utter those words, you know? He ran towards God and his stuff. He ran 
towards God and his stuff. He turned toward the Father. How do you and I react when life crashes? Really? How do we react? What's our default response on the inside? What are the things that we run to for comfort, for relief, you know, to escape? You know, I, I reckon if you're anything like me, we, I try to avoid the situation sometimes. If I just don't look at it, it'll go away. All the paperwork that's come into the office, if I put it in this pile, after a year and I haven't looked at it, I know I can just toss it. Yeah. We end up more frustrated when we try to avoid stuff because nothing changes. And if we're to be honest at times, we may even feel guilty. You know, I don't know about you, but sometimes you can just feel guilty when you're, you're not cutting the mustard, when you feel like you're not getting through, when you're, you're in the midst of that struggle and you think, freaking hell, I'm a, I'm a Christian. Why am I struggling with this, yeah? At the end of the day, it's our choice whether we run towards him or whether we run further away because there's only he that can help it's only god that can help we should be running into his arms it's hard to love someone even the creator of the universe when we're going through something that we don't understand that should never happen to us how do you love a god that's supposed to be all loving when we're going through something that makes no sense at all how, how can we still say, yet I'll rejoice in the Lord. I'll be joyful in God, my Saviour, when we're going through stuff that makes no sense. So when life is thrown lemons and we don't understand how to interpret what we're going through, anyone had the thought, I'll try not to swear, flippin' heck, what's that? Yeah? Look, I know that those of you may not use such you know, such a pronounced adjective as flippin', you know, but <laughs> flippin' heck. You know, sometimes it's really hard to understand what we believe versus what we see, yeah? Sometimes it's really hard to understand what we believe versus what we see. And I reckon I'm talking to a few people today just quietly. Philip Yancey says, Human beings do not readily admit desperation. When they do, the kingdom of heaven draws near. Yeah? I love what I saw in the care workers because they stood their ground, they shared their journey, they kept their faith. They could see something and they knew something that we sometimes miss, that there is such a thing as good pain. Yeah? There is such a thing as good pain. It's like Habakkuk had prophetic insight into Romans. You know, Romans 8, 28, and we know that God causes everything to work together for good. I don't know how God does that. I don't know how he takes crud, rubbish, yuck, pain, and he takes it all with a sprinkle of salt and some good stuff, and it says he works all things for good. It's like Habakkuk, in the midst of his stuff, says, you know what, but... I know my God and I'm going to rejoice in him because he can take all of that and he's still good and he will make it good. It's hard when we don't see it though. How can that thing that we went through be good? You've got to be joking. You must mean you're going to be good for someone else, you know. When I was in South Africa, I shared this passage in Hebrews 13. And it has to be the amplified version because it fleshes it out. It adds some extra context, yeah? But Hebrews 13 says, Let your character, your moral es essence, your inner nature, be free from the love of money. So shun greed, be financially ethical, being content with what you have. For he has said, I will never under any circumstance, yeah? desert you nor give you up nor leave you without support nor will i in any degree leave you helpless nor will i forsake or let you down or relax my hold on you assuredly not so we take comfort and are encouraged and confidently say the lord is my helper in time of need i will not be afraid what will man do to me i'm starting to understand a little bit now how that's possible because I've seen it in the care workers there and I want it for my life. 
And I just needed to understand how they could have that perspective in where they found themselves, yeah? And so some of my thinking had to change. I had to have a deeper understanding. But now the penny's starting to drop. There is such a thing as good pain. There's a message that Mel's been spruiking to the women that's a brilliant message. You should listen to it. My next five minutes as I close is all from this message, yeah? But Stephen Furtick has a message that's called the power of interpretation. Brilliant, brilliant word, brilliant revelation, yeah? And in it he says, there are situations in life, circumstances that we're going through, yeah, that simply can't be interpreted with our minds. Is that a simple, simple statement? We're all happy with that, aren't we? Can't be interpreted with our minds. Yet, if we're to be totally truthful... You and I, blanket comment, often we interpret the stuff that we go through with our minds. We actually come up with the conclusion or if something is good or something is bad, don't we? Well, we're the ones who make that decision as we're thinking about it, as we're experiencing it. And, and we do that every day, nearly every situation we go through. That was good, that was bad, that was bad, that was good. And we often judge many things as bad because that's how they made us feel. <laughs> but, 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 our situation, our stuff is not as important as the interpretation of that situation. Yeah? The stuff that we absolutely have, well, yes, and let's take that a bit further how we look at it, yeah? So in this message, he suggests that the power of interpretation is this. It's getting into the presence of God, Papa, Abba, yeah? It's asking him in the middle of it all, what are you saying to me right now? What is it that you're doing in my life right now? Are you trying to speak some truth in my life right now? See, how can we trust him with what we read in the Amplified Version? Yeah, I will never desert you, etc., etc. How can we trust him? How can we trust Romans that all things work together for good? if we're using our interpretation of what's good and bad and not his. How? How, 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 how? Because if we were to look at what I saw in Zambia and South Africa, I would say that was bad. But I sat with person after person. Well, the, the care workers, in like a stack of care workers, but the, the primary caregivers in the holy home visits, and when we asked for prayer... It was like, prayer, yes, please, you can pray. What can we pray? Pray for God's continued goodness on our life. He's continued, what? You got nothing, lady, yeah? Um, pray that hands would continue and the community-based organisation would be strong and give thanks to God for what he's given to us. Let me rewind that. I don't think you understood what I asked. I asked if there was something that we could pray for you. Yeah? But... They come up with this stuff because there's an interpretation that they have that we don't. And I don't even think it's their interpretation. See, in life, for you and me, who's our interpreter? Often it's us. It really is. Often it's us. But here's what God showed me. I think I know who the Zambians and South Africans, now that I've met them, I think I know who their interpreter is. I think it's God. I think they allow Father God to interpret their situation, no matter how different it is, how difficult it is, because they always had hope in their despair. They always thanked Father for all they had, even though to me it looked like they had nothing. Yeah? It says in Philippians chapter 4, verse 12, I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, oh, every situation, that means whatever you've been through, however sucky it is, however bad it is, however much you've cried in that situation, I've learned to be content in every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in poverty or in want. So for me, when Paul writes this, he's learned to be content with little and with much. So those that I met when I was overseas have learned to be content with little. They have learned to be content with little, yeah? And I believe it's because they believe that God is good all the time. That he loves them and he will never forsake them. He knows what they need. 
He knows what's best for them. And here's a generalisation for us in Western culture, Mount Clear Ballarat. I reckon we haven't yet learned how to be content with much. Yeah? Maybe that's why we struggle to see in our stuff that he's good all the time. Maybe that's why in our lives we sometimes struggle with the thought, how did a good God allow this to happen? If he's so good, then why, why, why did this happen to me? A good God couldn't let that happen. In our stuff, in our situation, in our hurt, pain and brokenness, there is such a thing as good pain. But are we interpreting our God through what we're experiencing in life? Or are we experiencing our life yeah, through how we interpret God? Yeah? I'll repeat that, yeah? <laughs> are we interpreting our God through what we experience in life? Or are we interpreting what we are going through in life? It's probably a better way to put it, through our God. Because when he sees a situation that we're in, does he see it as bad or does he see it as opportunity? Does he see it as bad or does he see it as good? How does he see where we're at? Because I don't think God sees situations as good and bad. I just don't think he does. I think there are situations we go through, circumstances that are, are not good. But our God being good all the time, I think he sees every opportunity for good. That's why he can say in Romans, that's why we can say that he'll use all these things for good, yeah? There is such a good thing, a good pain. There is such a thing as good pain. Why don't we stand? Because I just want to finish with a thought for us, yeah? <laughs> if he's a good God and he's never going to leave us or forsake us, if he's going to use all things, all things for good, the only way that becomes real, the only way we can pray the prayer that Habakkuk prayed is when we have a, have a depth of relationship with Father God. The only way we're going to have a depth of relationship, an intimate relationship with him, is if we spend time with him. If we spend time with him. I know that we're busy if we spend time with him. I know that we're busy if we spend time with him. I know our work is demanding if we spend time with him. I know there's study to be done if we spend time with him. I know our businesses need us if we spend time with him. Yeah? You, we will never, you and I will never build the depth of relationship that Habakkuk got to to be able to share words like a prophetic word, you know, Romans all the way out there. He would never have had a depth of relationship like that unless he spent time with God. And in fact, if you read chapters 1 and 2, after he says, God, why, why, why this injustice? Why this despair? Why, 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 why? After he does all that, God actually speaks to him in chapter 2 and says, listen, you need to go on your rampart. Listen to me. Ask me a question. Wait, wait, wait. And then I'll speak to you. And it will come in its time. Yeah, and you've got to have a look at the Hebrew word there. I think it's moed means the right time and when it comes then write it down and then share it so he had to spend time with God and after he spent time with God then we get to chapter 3 and he says you know what I'm going to rejoice in my Lord always even though there's nothing out there and there's dust and could you imagine olive trees without olives oh my goodness I'd be happy with blackberry trees without thorns but um, you know like there's nothing there to harvest and he says I'm going to rejoice in my God so for a moment, just with every eye closed, there is such a thing as good pain. There is such a thing as good pain. This morning, this morning, if that pain, if that circumstance, if that situation pushes you toward our Father, if you end up in his arms, if you, if you end up sitting with him to ask him what's going on, help me to understand, because that's what Habakkuk did. If it grows our relationship with him, if we... we Get to a place where we can dig a well of intimacy so deep that others can never imagine. If we get to the place where we can say, though the, the fig tree doesn't bud and there are no grapes, though, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen, no cattle in the stores, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in my God. The sovereign Lord is my strength. If we can get to that place, if that pain pushes us there, 
then there is such a thing as good pain. But it all depends on how we interpret it. Are we interpreting God through what we experience or are we interpreting what we're going through in life through our God? You know, in Zambia and Africa, they understand that there is such a thing as good pain, that God loves them and they allow God to interpret their life, not the other way around. And if we let Papa interpret the things in our life, then we'll be able to say with confidence and understand with confidence and believe with confidence that he will never leave us under any circumstance. He will never desert us. He will never give us up. He won't leave us without support. He won't leave us helpless. The Lord is our helper in our time of need. There is such a thing as good pain. So today's our turn. (laughs) Today is our time to allow Father to interpret what we're going through. It's time to stop interpreting our own life through the stuff we're going through. Today, I believe, is time to see things the way Daddy does. Yeah? It's time to trust Him. It's time to allow that trial to push us towards Him. Can I have the keys? Maybe Ryan just on the guitar as well. Would that be all right? I forgot about the background ambience that brings the Holy Spirit. (laughs) It's always nicer when there's some music in the background. Just play whatever. You guys work it out. But this morning, I want us to focus on areas where we know we have pain, where we have confusion, where there's been circumstances and things in our life that we've not been able to understand. Stuff that's even had us questioning how a good God could allow something like that to happen. How can a good God work that thing together for good? How can He say that He'll never leave me or forsake me or leave me helpless when I had to go and I had to face that? How, how, how can that happen? I think this morning, it's time that we give that to Him. It's time for us to stop interpreting that as a bad situation, as woeful, as terrible. And it probably was, and it probably did hurt. But maybe it's now time to be thrust into His arms and to trust Him in all things and allow Him to interpret the stuff that we're going through. So that when someone comes to you from another nation and says, can I pray for you? Your word won't be the situation that you're going through, but instead you'll be, what? Can you, can you ask God, you know, just to, to thank Him? Can you just thank Him for the blessing on my life? Can you thank Him for what we have? Can you, can you ask Him to continue to bless the local church and the people that are helping me out because they're so good? Maybe. Maybe when we allow Him to interpret that stuff in our life, maybe the song from our lips will change, amen? Because I want to repeat, there is such a thing as good pain. So whoever you are, wherever you are right now, I want to give you an opportunity. And I'm going to ask you, just with a show of hands, no one else is going to be looking. But I just if you're one of those people that just needs to say, you know what, God, there's some stuff in my life that I've looked at and I've always... I've always seen it as really bad. In fact, it, it's really, it's cut me up. It's, I haven't been able to get rid of it. I've questioned you at times because of that. I've acted inappropriately. I haven't even been Christ-like because of that thing. So this morning, I want to give it to you. I don't want to carry it. I don't want to judge it. I don't want to interpret it. I want to allow you to interpret the situations in my life. I want you to speak into my life. I want to hear what you're saying right now. I want to know what you're doing right now. So if that's you, if you know there's something that's there, this is between you and Him, yeah? The hand is an acknowledgement, yeah? It's facing that fear. And as I said, not to worry about the person next to you. But if that's you this morning, just on the count of three, just raise your hands and drop it back down. If you know you've got something that you've been interpreting in your life one and it's changed the way that you look at things and you've struggled with it too but you know now that you need to give it to God 
Well, now, now's the time to do it three. If that's you, just raise your hand. Bless you. Seriously. <laughs> it's a majority of us, amen? So let's pray into that space. Because he's a good, good God. And he's good all the time. Amen? Father, Lord, you know every heart that's been stirred this morning. Lord, you know the stuff that we've gone through. And some stuff, Lord, it's unimaginable. Father, sometimes we look at other people and we think, wow, how did they get through that? And sometimes we look at our own lives and think, woe is me. But Father, Lord, we don't want those things to, de to determine the outcome of our life. We want, don't want them to change who we are. Lord, we, we want to be a people that allows you to interpret what we're going through. Father, we want to hear the truths and the secrets of heaven. Father, in, in, in each and every circumstance, Lord, we want to be able to ride with and to believe and take hold and ownership of that you will never leave us or forsake us, that you will take all of our stuff and you will make it good and you will make it work for for good Father we want to live in that space that Father when we're confronted by people and they ask us what can we pray for Lord all they will hear and all they will see Father is the pouring out of your love to overflow Lord our thankfulness and our praise of what you've done Lord the beauty of who you are Father that Lord the things that we ask to be prayed for would be so inspiring that it would lead another to dig the same depth of well of intimacy with you. Father, may our relationships run deep. Father, may we go to new levels, Lord Jesus. May we experience new glory. May we experience new strength. Father, I thank you that as Janine shared this morning, that for the joy set before him, you endured the cross. And she shared that that joy was us. It was relationship with us. And Father, I thank you that your word says that the joy of the Lord will be our strength. And so, Lord God, I know this, that no matter what we face, no matter what we go through, the joy of the Lord, my relationship with you will be my strength. Lord, multiply that by infinity and beyond. Amen that we may be a people that conquers a nation with the love of Jesus. And we bless you and we bless you. We bless you because of your goodness. And everyone in the house said, Amen. Let's be a people that allows God to interpret the crud in our life. Yeah, Let's start, stop saying this is good and this is bad. Let's let Him, Father God, Abba do it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's have a great day. <laughs>